Well, saints, this morning we'll continue our fellowship that we started last night uh, with this message, message two, on bringing the young people into the church life through the homes. Uh, before we get into this, like always, I would like to spend a few minutes to give some background, or maybe the backstory, to this outline, and uh, to put it into a certain context for us to realize how crucial is this matter of bringing our young people into the church life, even at an early age, from the, from the very beginning of their Christian life. Already they should begin to have a kind of church life. And uh, the basis is this, or the understanding is this. Maybe this is our experience. Uh, what we have come to realize over the last few years, actually it was about 2009 when we began to be so deeply impressed that our children and our young people need to be on the offense that they shouldn't be just on the defense, that our our work should bear a kind of atmosphere and characteristic of a gospel work. Now, it doesn't mean that we carry out a big gospel campaign, but the the total atmosphere, the flavor, the spirit, the burden behind our work, even beginning in the children's meeting, through the teenager years, the campus work, all of this should have this gospel flavor. It should be a kind of gospel work. Brother Lee mentioned this a number of times, that uh, the children's meeting should result in seeds of the gospel in the junior high schools. When they become, uh, they will become gospel seeds when they go into the junior high schools. And he said this again and again. It was striking to us that when we came to study the children's work in a very detailed way, reading the messages again and again and again, there were these two striking, striking points. One was that the children's work would issue in gospel seeds. And we can't, we couldn't get away from it. It was Everywhere. It was again and again and again. And when we looked at our situation, we realized that we had not worked like this at all. In fact, we'd worked almost exactly in the opposite way to isolate them and to keep them separate, which we have to have some measure of separation. But at the same time, we should instill in them a heart for their friends' salvation, a heart for their uh, their neighbors, their relatives, that they would know God. And even in the children's meeting years, we could cultivate this kind of desire within them to invite their friends. Brother Ricky in New York has told me on a number of occasions that the church in New York, both halls, Manhattan and also in Queens, they have what they call a children's gospel meeting uh, once or twice a year. I think that's marvelous. And you, you might think, well, children's gospel meeting, what do you do? You get the kids together and you give a gospel message with an altar call. No, they didn't do that. But what they did was just a regular children's meeting 
But to the children, they called it a children's gospel meeting. And so the children got involved in many aspects of this, but particularly they were encouraged to invite their friends and they should pray with their parents over which friend they should invite and how they should invite them. And then the kids were so excited about this. They were so into it. They were stirred up. Who should I invite? And they would talk to their mom. Mom, mommy, mommy, who should I invite? I'm thinking about how about this one and how about that one? And then the mother could pray with their child and decide, okay, how about we invite these four? (laughs) You see, with the children, there was no inhibition at all. There was no embarrassment, no concept that there was anything different about us at all. Well, now the children get invited. They pass on an invitation. It's an announcement. We're going to have a, a children's gospel meeting. The church in New York City meeting in Queens Village or meeting in Manhattan. And so now the parents are trying to decide whether to allow their children to come to this gospel meeting or not. And so eventually what happens, invariably what happens, is the children come and the parents come to watch. And so here you have this children's meeting where you have this big room with a big opening and a lot of very enjoyable singing together. And the kids are into it. The church kids are very excited because their friends are there and the the friends are there in, entering into this kind of atmosphere and they're singing and enjoying and the parents are back there observing. And then they tell a story. They tell a Bible story or they'll tell some, some lesson that they've prepared uh, from the Bible, from something like that, and then that's it. That's the children's gospel meeting. But afterwards, then the families of the saints can meet all of these children and their families, the parents, the mothers that joined or accompanied their children to come to the meeting. Well, when they did that, they were able to contact a lot of the neighbors and the school classmates of of the children and their parents. And even... uh, If you ask uh, Brother Ricky, he could name off entire families that have come into the church life having been contacted through that children's gospel meeting uh, over the years. And so this, uh, not only is it good for the increase of the church, but it does something to the kids. Something gets into the kids about inviting their friends to the children's meeting. And uh, I, I just, I mean, I, I feel this is a delightful way to begin to cultivate this kind of gospel atmosphere uh, in the church and to generate this kind of spirit in the young generation. Well, you know, the idea was this, or our understanding is this, and I probably have spoken about this a number of times while I've been here. It was in... Uh, I still remember where it was and where where I was sitting and how it happened. But we had been, you know, studying all these materials to put into this book. Of course, we didn't know there was a book. It was going to be a book. We were doing a a lot of research concerning the work with the children and the young people uh, for the class that we teach in the full-time training. And uh, so we were very 
desperate to find out how Brother Nee and Brother Lee were leading us in the, in the ministry on how to raise up and take care of the next generation. We were very clear that the natural way or the Sunday school way, the youth group way is not the way we want to take. And so, but we didn't know what is, how should we do this? What should we do? How should we carry out this work? We didn't know. And so we were searching and uh, even going through the transcripts of in the archives at LSM and digging up everything we could find. And we began to come across some transcripts of messages that had been translated from Chinese into English. And in these messages, they were spoken in 1967. In these messages, Brother Lee kept using this expression, the seeds of the gospel, seeds of the gospel. Well, you know, being a being in this work for many years and serving in this work for many years, I did not have much heart for that. I didn't have, I, I couldn't respond to that. In fact, there was a lot of resistance in my being. As, as I expect, there may be some resistance in your feeling as well. Even as I talk about this, my thought was, well, you don't know our kids. You don't know, maybe this will work in Taiwan, but it doesn't, won't work here. Have you seen our junior hires? Have you seen our high schoolers? Gospel seeds, you know, so I would dismiss it. I didn't take it that serious. And then it came up again and again, and we read it again and again. Eventually, you know what? I have a file at home that I've called Seeds of the Gospel. And it's a compilation of all the places that I found where he spoke about this. And it's quite an assortment of, of uh, ministry excerpts and so we couldn't, eventually we couldn't, uh, escape. And anyway, in May of, of 2007, we had invited Ricky to come to Southern California to help us with a teacher's training for our summer school of the truth. And while he was there speaking in the first session of this teacher's training that we had, I was sitting there and he was speaking. He spoke and he used this same expression that the young people would become seeds of the gospel. And I was shocked because everything I had been reading was from Chinese. And I knew Ricky didn't read Chinese. <laughs> and I didn't know, I knew he didn't have access to those archives or to those transcripts. And I had never seen this in the English publication. So I was very surprised so I asked him, where did you hear this? Why did you use this expression, seeds of the gospel? I didn't tell him what I knew about that because I'd been reading it and resisting, reading it and resisting for a long time. And then he said, oh, well, Brother Benjamin talks about this all the time. Well, Brother Benjamin from New York, Brother Benjamin Chen, was one of those gospel seeds in Taiwan uh, in the 1950s and 60s. He was one of those teenagers that was saved. You know, he was saved. His parents were not saved. Uh, and he was saved and brought into the church life. I don't know if I remember correctly, but as a junior higher or as a high schooler. And then he was under Brother Lee's training when Brother Lee was there in Taiwan training the saints to enter into the gospel. And he was there as a young person in the church meetings with another group, with a group of high schoolers and junior hires 
listening and participating in this training. I asked Brother Benjamin, I said, okay, because now I knew, you know, there was someone who was there, and that's what I wanted to know. Can I talk to somebody who was there in Taiwan when Brother Lee was talking about this? So I, I, I called up Brother Benjamin, or I talked to him in one of the uh, seven feasts that we had together. I, I think he'd be okay with me saying this. I know it's being videotaped and recorded. And, and I asked him, I said, tell me, how did Brother Lee train the young people to be seeds of the gospel? And uh, how, how did he carry out this kind of training? And what did he do? Because since then, we've been really stu- studying and struggling, maybe striving is a good word, to consider how do you do this? How do you bring the junior hires and the high schoolers into this? How do you work this out in all the churches? Well, uh, Brother Benjamin <clears throat> didn't respond to me for a long time. Uh, in fact, it was probably at one of the seven feasts that I asked him and there wasn't time to fellowship. Um, and we were coming up on another feast and he knew he was flying out, he was going to see me. So he called me about two days before that and he said, I wanted to get back to you with the answer, you know, your question about how did Brother Lee train us in Taiwan concerning this matter. And that's what he told me. He said, we were just in the training that was going on in the church at that time. Now, these tra- this training that Brother Lee had is now published, and it's in English, and there are six volumes of Crucial Truths in the Holy Scriptures, volume 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. If you're on the DMS, you'll have this entire set, very colorful set of books. And uh, in volume 3... There's a chapter in there called Preaching the Gospel. And he said, that's it. It's lesson 25, I think it is. And that was the lesson. Well, when I, when I saw that and I read that, I thought, well, that wasn't a, a training to the young people. That was just a training. He said, yeah, that's it. That was, we were just in the church and we were just there under Brother Lee's training. Uh, that was very interesting to me. I found that very interesting that Brother Lee wanted the junior hires and the high schoolers to just do what the church does and to bring them into a gospel spirit, a gospel atmosphere, and a gospel kind of burden and work. That as soon as they go to the junior high, he said there would already be a work there. There would already be a campus work there. Boy, when we started reading this and we started getting into this, we came across another portion in the uh, in the ministry that was now twenty or thirty years later. <clears throat> this was in when he was in Taiwan in the mid eighties. There's a series of books called uh, "Crucial Words of Leading uh, in the Lord's Recovery." There's five volumes in that book in that set. And uh, volume five, the first six chapters are all on second generation. Oh, you should read them. And uh, chapter one through four, I think it's one through four, or chapter two through five. Sorry, it's been a while. It says, concerning the gospel in the schools. <clears throat> That's the title of the chapter. Concerning the gospel in the schools, one 
concerning the gospel in the schools two, concerning gospel in the schools three, and so forth. Chapter six is called the children's work. And that is now our chapter 10 in the book. We just took that whole thing, outlined it, and put it in there as chapter 10. It's called The Importance of the Children's Work in the Church. And it was there in that chapter 6 that he spoke so much about the seeds of the gospel, the children's work. They would become the seeds of the gospel in the schools. Well, let me go back. In those four or five chapters, in crucial words of leading in the Lord's recovery, concerning the gospel in the schools, when you see it and you look at it, you will automatically think, oh, yeah, yeah, the campus work, the campus work. And he talks about the campus work. But then when he describes the campus work, he's speaking about the junior high campus and the high school campus. And, you know, we've all heard how he led us to get a house across the street from a school. And we always thought, of course, university, get a house near the university. We always try to do that. When he first said it, he was talking about junior high schools and high schools. And who would have thought? Who would have thought you could do a campus work on a junior high school? And in these chapters, he's talking about taking the scientific way, how to learn by studying, by trying a lot of different ways, and how you have to have five categories of saints. You've got students, teachers, students, staff, co-workers. Then you have some full-timers, made a distinction between the co-workers and the full-timers, and some part-timers. And you need this these kind of burdened saints who would pick up a, a target school and labor on that school by opening up their home, having the, the students who are there on the campus bringing their friends to your house afterwards, and you just care for them. You take care of them. Eventually, the gospel will go out from your from you, from your home, and you will have a campus work related to that junior high school or that high school. We see all of this was blowing our mind because we had never worked like this. We had never even prayed about this or had ever thought that this would be the way to work. What about the the localities where there's local churches but there's no campus, quote, quote, no university or college campus? What are they supposed to do? Well, you could have a community gospel work, but what about the high schools? You know, Anaheim is one of those kind of cities. Anaheim has no college. Anaheim doesn't have a university or, well, Chapman, a private school. It's really in Orange, which is next door to Anaheim. So they began to do a campus work on four different high schools. They began to experiment by preaching the gospel to the high schoolers. And I, I appreciate that very much that they would labor like this. My, my, my whole point in presenting this to you is that I wish in every place where, where I have the opportunity to open this matter up, there would be a group of saints who would pick this up and begin to pray to bring in a gospel spirit, a gospel atmosphere into our children's work, into our junior high work, and our high school work. Long before they get to a university campus, they're already 
thinking about their friends. They're already praying for their friends. They're already learning how to invite their friends to the home meetings or to the church meetings, to the young people's meeting, to the children's gospel meeting, or even to the young people's gospel meetings. So, you know how uh, last night when we talked about the children's work, the two big pillars, one is seeds of the gospel. We're, We're molding them, preparing them to be gospel seeds. So, the children's work has these two. You could say this is the goal. And then proper humanity. Sometimes we call this the purpose. I'd have to explain to you why. (laughs) Now they are in a gospel. They're preaching the gospel. Okay? They're being prepared to be... See, this is the stage of preparation. So they're getting ready for this. Then when they get saved and baptized, they immediately do this. You, you, it's just very hard for me. We, to, uh, in a short period of time to, uh, speak to you all the realizations, all the points we got. We, let me give you two examples. One is, in Watchman Knees, Messages for Building Up New Believers, there's a message called, uh, Confession with the Mouth. It's one of the early ones. Where Brother Nee points out that as soon as someone gets saved, they should confess the Lord immediately before men. They should let people know, their relatives, their friends, their uh, neighbors, that they believed in the Lord, that they're now for the Lord. This should be their confession. The confession puts a, uh, uh, a label on them. It's a signboard. That's what I am. That's who I am. And they have to do this right away or else they may be dumb, hidden, secret, a, a closet Christian for their whole life. Uh, some of us suffered from that. We didn't confess the Lord. We didn't feel, we weren't helped to do that. We didn't do that. And because of that, now to say something is very difficult. It's, we, uh, we were not helped. So we have to help them on the, on the day that they're baptized. We have to charge them to go and tell their friends what happened to them. What did they do? I got baptized. I believed in the Lord, I got saved, and I got baptized. Well, in the freshness of their Christian life, they will be happy to do this. They have no problem to do this. They are uh, excited to do this. So this is the first, first thing we realized. The second thing we realized, now confession is to save them from temptation and to relieve them from a lot of trouble later on. Once the word is out, you won't get invited to those parties. You won't be tempted like if you were trying to be a secret closet Christian. Everyone will just assume that you're not a believer. Uh, you say, well, I'll testify by my actions, by my living. Well, they won't get that. Not until you say it. Uh, say it, then live it. That's very powerful. Um, the second thing was Brother Nee has a message called witnessing. And that is more on the offensive. You know, you could say that confession with the mouth is a protection to us, while uh, witnessing, which is to say something for the Lord, is offensive. Uh, it's to testify. 
You know, the Lord said, or the, yeah, the Lord said that you will be my witnesses. A witness doesn't give a gospel message, doesn't have to quote all the verses, does not have to be accurate or anything. He just has to speak what he saw, speak what he experienced. That's what a witness does. And when they witness, they're also martyrs. I don't know if you know this, but the Greek word for witness is the same Greek word for martyr. That means you give a testimony and the testimony may cost you. In fact, every time you speak for the Lord, you die. Your face dies, your uh, image, your reputation, your status. You pass through a little martyrdom every time you say something for the Lord. Okay, just from these two things we realize this is how we have to help our newest baptized members right away to confess the Lord before men and then to go speak to people. Three examples in the New Testament of this. The Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, he got saved. And then Ananias came and and, uh, put his hand on him. The scales fell off his eyes. He saw Ananias told him, you need to get baptized. He got baptized, and when he's getting baptized, he told him, okay, you are going to bind all those people that called on the name of the Lord. I want you to call on the name of the Lord as loud as you can while you're getting baptized. So he did. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So that's how he got brought in. Then the next verse, he's going into the synagogue to testify that Jesus is the Christ. So what did he do? He got right out of the baptism pool. He went right to the synagogue and began to speak. This is the, this is the pattern. This is the right way. Then you have that man, that man with a thousand demons, legion. The Lord crossed the sea of Gesenaret, came to this place. There was this demon possessed man there. The Lord cast out the demons. They went into a herd of swine. The swine went down the hill and, and went swimming. <laughs> Then the people of the village came out. Oh, our entire flock, our herd of swine all died in the water. Please leave. Go away. So the Lord's getting ready to leave. And this demon-possessed man who's now healed in his right mind, clothed, sane, proper, he begs the Lord, if by any chance I could go with you. And the Lord said, no, you can't go with me, but go to your own people and tell them what wondrous things God has done for you. Go tell them, witness, go tell them what happened. Tell them what the Lord's done for you. This is what we have to help our young people to do. Go tell their friends what the Lord has done for them. And then the third example is the woman at the well in John 4, where she had been with five men. The man she was with, the sixth, was not her husband. And then she went into the village. She left her water pot after she met the Lord. She went into the village and she said, Come see a man who told me everything. Well, you see, what a contrast. You know, this time, this is, this is the man. You know, I, I've been hungry for a lot of drinking from a lot of other sources, but this is the one. She went right away and, and brought the whole village out to her, out to the Lord, because of her testimony of meeting the Lord. And so this this all should impress us that right away, this is our first job. You know, saints, as we go through the day today, I hope you are deeply impressed 
that where this is going because we're gonna we're gonna sink into this point very deeply. Uh, how to bring them into this kind of gospel living practice service function? Uh, you don't know how vital this is for their survival as a proper, normal, healthy Christian. So parents and serving ones, this is where we're going. So don't resist. In fact, maybe we should open up ourselves to consider this. And also, uh, sometimes when we fellowship this with the full-time trainees, uh, I had this kind of reaction or this kind of response. Again, it kind of made me smile, where the trainees were testifying, you know, before we could bring the young people into this kind of gospel living, the Lord has to get through in me first. Like that. But I had this kind of feeling, wait a minute, you know what, brothers and sisters? We don't have time for you to get through. They have to get through today. We have to help them now. We can't wait another decade in the hopes that you can get through in the gospel. Maybe by leading them in, maybe by perfecting them in the gospel, we also could be brought in. Maybe it's them that's going to bring us into it. So, I believe this is our work. Paul told Timothy at the end of his life, almost his final utterance to his young co-worker Timothy, he said, do the work of an evangelist. Fully accomplish your ministry. What's the work of an evangelist? You say, well, the work of an evangelist is to preach the gospel. Not according to Ephesians 4. The work of an evangelist in Ephesians 4 is to perfect the saints in evangelism. It's to bring them to be evangelists. Do you understand? Paul was charging Timothy, you're not an evangelist, I know that. I, or else I wouldn't have to tell you this, to do the work of an evangelist. I know you're, you weren't born one, you weren't gifted that way, but the need requires this kind of work. The situation in the churches in decline needs someone that will function in this way to do the work of an evangelist. So you say, well, okay, the work of an evangelist, yeah, you could say, well, an evangelist preaches the gospel, and he should. But you, Ephesians 4 doesn't really call you an evangelist yet. What qualifies you to be an evangelist, according to Ephesians 4, is that you've perfected other people in evangelism then you could be called an evangelist. It doesn't matter how many people you could lead to Christ. If you haven't perfected anybody else to lead somebody to Christ, you can't be called an evangelist. And the same goes for an apostle and a prophet and a shepherd and a teacher. It's the same. That's what they do. It's for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of the ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ. Well, we'll get into that later, this afternoon and this evening. We'll develop this uh, quite a bit more. But my whole point in opening this matter up, and the time is fleeing, was because before we touch this matter of bringing them into the church life, you have to understand the context. You see, if we're sending them out to contact their friends, what are they going to do with their friends? Once they get... They're friends that are open and they're willing to come 
Are they going to come to the big church meeting? Should we bring them to the Lord's Day? Do we bring them to the young people's meeting? What is the God-ordained way? What is the way, according to the blueprint, for us to take care of these? And we'll see that it's the home meetings. And then we said, well, wait a minute. We never worked like this before. We never brought our teenagers into the church life through the homes. We waited until they got to college. And then we began to push them. You need to get into a home meeting. But they hadn't been in home meetings. They hadn't been active in the church life hardly at all, except for a young people's meeting. And so it was foreign to them. We lost a lot of our kids during that transition between high school and college. When they went away to college, they we lost them because there was no vital connections there. So we realized it's too late. It's too late. The same thing is true with gospel seeds. If if you try to bring our junior hires into the gospel living, let's call this gospel living, you try to bring them into a gospel living at junior high, but without any preparation here, you have this this real realization. It's too late. It's too late. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared for this. These years right here are so crucial to get them ready for this. And you know what? Every one of our, our works in the second generation should anticipate what's next. As we work on them, 5 to 12 years old, we're anticipating what's next. What's next is they're going to walk onto a junior high school campus and they're going to be completely defiled and ruined or they're going to be on the offense. And they're going to, they're going to get converted or we're, they're going to convert others. It's one or the other. And sometimes they get converted. But we'd like to, we like to fight. So we have to anticipate. This is why we do that kind of work here. Then when they get here, we bring them into a kind of gospel living. Well, that gospel living includes a church life. So you could actually, we could, uh, let me, let me, uh, anticipate where this, where, where we're going today. We have three things. We bring them. We'll call this bringing them or bring them into what? Number one, a gospel living. Number two, the church life. And number three, into function in the church life. Okay. Let's uh, read through the outline. Bringing the young people into the church life through the homes. We have three bringing, bringing them into. We see clearly, now this first Roman numeral is just kind of the, the vision that we've seen in the God-ordained way. It's very clear. We've seen clearly that the building of the church is based on home meetings. The home meetings is God's unique way to build His church and to reach His goal. In Acts 2, 46 and 47, we see that they met house to house, day by day. There's been a lot of fellowship on this. There's no no point in over or stressing this further. But the church life is built up by being small. You know, I think we need to have several transitions from big to small. From the meeting halls to the homes. From coming to going. This, this should change our, from meeting centered to people centered. In the homes, 
there's the intimacy, there's the mutuality, there's the, the considering one another that we read about. In the big meetings, you can be anonymous, you can remain hidden, you can be secret, you can hide in the big, in the big meetings. The big meetings cannot keep people. It's not a, it's not a container that will gain and contain them. But the whole meetings can keep them, can capture and gain them. So we have to see that to bring people into the church life is really to bring them into the home church life. So you have to think, okay, this is, this is the principle, but for the adults, but for the young people, well, what's, dif- what's the difference? What's the difference? They're believers or not? Are they members of the body of Christ or not? They are. They're baptized. They're, they're in the church life. In the early days of the church life, the apostles built up the church very quickly. And the way of building was the small groups and the home meetings. Brother Lee found, or he, he referred to this verse. He didn't find it. He, he used this verse in Acts 9.31, where it says, So then, the church throughout the whole of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, being built up, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. Here it says the church throughout the whole region of Judea was built up. Would you say that the church in Calgary is built up? This was Brother Lee's question. You read it in the excerpt. Even in all of America, United States, could you say that the church is built up? Well, we would not say that. We would think, well, we still need more building. And he said it was built up very quickly. The apostles built up the church very quickly because they took the building way. And the building way was the small groups, the whole meetings. This built up the church very quickly. The home meetings are the top way, the super way, and eventually the unique way to meet. At the very beginning, the way created by the Holy Spirit and ordained by God was to meet in two ways, in the congregational way and in the home meeting way and in the home way. You see, there's these two wings. He called them the two wings like of an airplane, You have the corporate meetings, the larger meetings, like on the Lord's Day when we come together. And then there's the small meetings, the small groups, where you have the the home meetings and the, uh, the prayer meetings and the various kinds of meetings. And these two wings are are very balanced. And that is how we should have our church life. It should be, well, we've heard 80% in the homes, 20% in the big meetings, uh, and we're, you know, we're very burdened about this, uh, that the church life would become uh, smaller, more intimate, more mutual, uh, where there can be the mutual asking and answering of questions. They could be the real perfecting of the saints. You know, there's the, uh, the home meetings for nourishing the new believers. The newly saved ones, Brother Lee, impressed us that we have to go to their homes to nourish them. And then we gather them together in small groups. We put some of these together, and we have small group meetings. 
And in the small group meetings, these nourished new ones can be perfected. And that the perfecting takes place in these kind of small group meetings. I was in a small group meeting, <clears throat> my, my particular group meeting at, in Irvine, uh, a week ago, Friday night. And we had the most, uh, really, really amazing meeting. And the reason was this, is that there was a lot of mutual asking and answering of questions. We have a number of new ones in that meeting and they began to ask questions. You see, if the meeting is too large, they won't ask questions. You know how it is. Even in this meeting, it's very hard. Everybody is so quiet. They're afraid to open their mouth. As soon as you open your mouth, you expose yourself. You People will find out what we're really like. Oh, And so we're so afraid to open our mouth. But in a, in a home, in a small group, you can open your mouth. You can ask questions. Well, what, is the, what does the Bible mean when it says this? What, why does it say this? Because the inhibition is not there in a small group. And so then there could be the mutual asking and the mutual answering. It's not like there has to be a, an elder or a coworker in that small group. But all the saints can practice answering. And then after you answer, you realize, you know what? That was a terrible answer. Uh, I better go back and, and study this again. And then somebody else answers, and they build on your answer, and it improves a little bit. Then another one answers. Pretty soon you got the answer, and it was a corporate answer. You see, this is, this is how we are perfected. And you know what, brothers and sisters? This is how we learn how to prophesy. Then on the Lord's Day, we come together in a bigger meeting. In the, when the whole church comes together, as it says in 1 Corinthians 14, and we all have something, and we all can speak it. This is the normal way. And so the point this morning is, is that this is the kind of church life we have to bring our newly baptized young people into that kind of church life, where they can be nourished in the homes, they can be perfected in the small groups. So let me let me go on. Uh, at the very beginning, did I read this? The way created by the Holy Spirit. You see, up until that point in uh, Roman culture, Greek culture, Jewish culture, there was no such thing as home meetings or small group meetings. They either met in the synagogues or they met in the temple. That was just the way they met. They met con- in a congregational way. And uh, so this was a new thing. It was a new creation, a new uh, way that God, uh, through the Holy Spirit, invented and introduced at the beginning of the church life was to meet in homes, to meet house to house. This is brand new. That's why it's called created by the Holy Spirit and ordained by God. The home meetings are the unique way for the increase and the building up of the church. So, okay, we're going to bring the young people into a gospel living. You have to bring them into the church life at the same time. Or else they have nowhere to to preach the gospel. They don't have a place to bring their new ones and their friends. So, point two, we should endeavor to bring the young people into the practice of the church life through the homes. The small group becomes our practical church life. Amen. How about you all read point A? We need to be in a definite local church. Are we can say to our local church, those who are not in a local church, 
This point says we need our own definite, we need to be in a definite local church that we can say is our local church. When Brother Lee was talking about this, he, he began to talk about the church in Anaheim and how sweet, how lovely the church in Anaheim was to him because it's my church, it's my local church. And it's not like in an exclusive, individualistic way, but that it's home to him. Even in one place, he said it's like paradise. We see all the saints should have this kind of feeling about the church life, that the church life is my home. It's my rest. God's resting place, it's my resting place too. It's my home. Without the church life, I was an orphan. When I came to the church, I had found my home. I still recall, saints, the day I loaded everything I owned into my little VW bug and I drove to Los Angeles. I'd left home. I said goodbye to my mom, my dad, my brothers and sisters. And I drove to Los Angeles. And I was weeping nearly the whole time because I knew part of my life was over and that I was coming to a new place. And I knew that this place was going to define the rest of my life. And as I, as I drove, I remembered this verse from the Gospels where Peter was kind of asking the Lord, you know, uh, you know, this was after the rich young ruler thought he could inherit eternal life by being good. And after that, the disciples said, well, who, who could be saved? It's impossible. And then the Lord said, yeah, with, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And then he said, uh, no man that has left father and mother and sister and brother, but he shall have a hundredfold. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And I had, there were six kids in our family, so I had five siblings and, of course, two parents. And when I walked into Eldon Hall that night for the Lord's table meeting, there was about 600 saints there. And I realized I just got a hundredfold. But now I had found my home. This is my family. I had a hundred moms, a hundred dads. I had 500 brothers and sisters. It was really, it was really a home, a home to me. I wish all our kids would have this kind of experience. The church life would be their home, would really be their home. So we need a definite local church. To bring the meetings to the homes is the very heart of the God-ordained way. It's a great failure in the Lord's recovery if we cannot bring the meetings to the homes. The influence of the home meetings is most helpful for the families of the saints. From early days, the children will be surrounded by a spiritual atmosphere and will have constant opportunity to see the reality of eternal things. The children in the home meetings will be preserved from drifting along the current of the age In the end, the family will become proper and normal. If you want to take the best way to preserve your children from the world is to have a home meeting in your house. Have a home meeting in your home where the saints are coming into your house. Don't pick out just the good homes. Well, this home is good. He's a good brother. That's a good place to have a home meeting. Uh, But that brother, oh, that's not so good. They're, They're a little worldly or they're a little this or that. No, no, no. All the home meeting. All the homes. When it says that they met from house to house, it meant they met in every house. Every house was a meeting hall. Every home was a a meeting place. 
And you say, well, my house is such a mess. My kids are so rebellious and unruly. If they come into my house, what will happen? What will happen is your house will become sanctified. Your children will become not so unruly. You will be recovered. Arguing couples will no longer argue. Something marvelous begins to happen when you begin to have the church life in your home. According to today's situation. Well, you know, I heard this. I got an, I got a, uh, well, it wasn't really an email. A brother contacted me on Facebook from Russia, from St. Petersburg. You know, I've been going there and fellowshipping these things now for a number of years. And uh, they went back and they were trying to practice. And, you know, I know as soon as I bring this up, there's going to be a lot of questions about it. But the question about premature knowledge, premature spiritual knowledge, always comes up when we're talking about the children and the children's work. And one particular family was so concerned that their children would be affected by premature knowledge that they stopped the home meeting in their house because they didn't want their children to hear the saints fellowshipping all those high truths and those things. They thought it might be a damage to the children. And uh, this is exactly the wrong thing to do, in case any of you wondered. No, the children need to be there. They need to watch this. They need to observe this. This is great. They're not being taught uh, premature knowledge. They may be observing things and witnessing things that are very good for them. I was very disappointed to hear that. And so I, I urged the brother to try their best to help this uh, couple not to be extreme like that. Uh, but to have a home meeting in your home is the best way uh, to raise up the children. They, they'll be influenced greatly by that in a very positive way. Uh, but it's better not to have the kids prophesying about God becoming a man to make man God when they're only five or six or seven years old. Yeah, try not to do that. Anyway, it's hard to touch that without getting into it. All right. Now, now we're going to really start to fellowship about the young people. Okay. And uh, time is fleeting. According to today's situation, you should not consider that to recover someone, you must bring that person to the big meetings in order to be successful. But as long as he can come to the home meetings every week, that will be very good. Of course, that's not the goal, but that is very good. Bring them first into the homes. And then from the homes, you could bring them into more of the corporate kind of church life. So even this thought about recovering someone. You know, for many years, we have been very troubled by how many of our own young people were slipping through the cracks and were getting away. They were not remaining in the church life. And so this became a heavy burden on us about how to recover them. How do we get them back? They know us. They know our families. They know our church life. How could we recover them back? And we realized the best way to recover them back is through the home meetings, to bring them into the homes of the saints, to eat together with the saints. They may stay just for the meal and then leave. That's okay. Then the next week they could come again and they can come and maybe they'll stay for some singing and then they'll leave and little by little we could recover them. I wish that there was a list somewhere in every local church of lost sheep. You know, the, the shepherd, the great shepherd is seeking one lost sheep. Sadly, all of our churches 
we may have hundreds of lost sheep. And uh, actually, in, in the reading, you'll read it. When Brother Lee is talking about, almost like he's talking about the purpose of the small groups is, first of all, to recover the ones who have not been meeting for a long time. I thought, my, that's amazing. How to get the increase? Go get the ones that stopped meeting. You know, even the children's meeting is a great way to recover people. Just go get their kids and bring their kids to children's meeting. They want their kids in the children's meeting. Uh, they may not, they may have been hurt, they may have been offended, or they may have some problem, but they, they want their children to be in the children's meeting. And if we just, we could maintain that living connection, we could gain them. Okay. <clears throat> Point one. The big meetings cannot keep them. You should underline that. Keep them. The big meetings cannot do it. But the meetings from house to house bring the people into the foundation of the church. Once a person joined the home meetings, he was kept. This is God's wisdom. So we realize that one of the reasons why we couldn't keep our young people is that all we had for them were big meetings. We just had a, even a young people's meeting was in the category of a corporate meeting, a big meeting. And uh, big meetings can't don't have that particular function. They don't have that capability. It's the home meetings that could keep them. And, uh, boy, I wish I could, uh, well, maybe I should <clears throat> just talk to you a little bit. We, we got into this. We began to see this in about 2005, 2006. And uh, what we discovered, I probably have mentioned this in the past, what we discovered was that even our serving ones, the ones who were serving the young people, did not have a church life outside of the young people's work. Their whole church life was young people's work. And they were also getting burned out. They were not able to sustain that kind of uh, work. And so we realized they needed a home meeting. They needed a church life themselves. You can't say that to be busy from Monday through Saturday or the Lord's Day or the Lord's Day to Saturday with the young people is a church life. No, you need that meeting of mutuality. You need the the mutual asking and answering of question. You need that small group meeting where you can consider one another, care for one another, meet one another's needs, pray for one another, and shepherd one another. You have to have this. And that becomes a, a marvelous atmosphere for bringing in friends, bringing in new ones, and for our young people to be cared for. And so I, I, I remember the, the day when we saw this and it finally occurred to us that we cannot go on like this any longer. And so we stopped. All of our so-called young people's home meetings and we told the serving ones, you go get yourself into a home meeting yourself. Get attached, get joined, get blended, get supplied. And then, if you still have a burden for the young people, you can begin then to invite the young people into your homes, into your home meetings. But you go first. And so we did this. I hope, I hope everyone here is in a home meeting, a small group meeting. And they're not that big. I hope that they're not too big because once they become too big, you lose the intimacy and you lose the uh, the care, the mutuality 
You have to have that. And the young people have to have that. So then <clears throat> we began to practice that. The parents were shocked. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with our kids on, on Friday night? There's no more young people, small groups. What are we going to do? Well, I'm not suggesting that you do what we did. It was just how we felt to do it. Eventually, what we did is we began to practice this twice a year. The serving ones in, in my place, they go through the whole list, the census. There's over 100 names, 110 names on our list now of junior high and high schoolers. Can you imagine? 110 kids. And the questions they're asking is, what home meeting are they in? Are they in a home meeting? Are they in a home meeting? Oh, they're in this one. And, and they'll sit around and they'll go through the list one by one to find out what home meeting they're in, who's caring for them, who's, who's shepherding them. Because you know what? Once they get into the home meeting, then the brothers and sisters can adopt them. You know, too many times we had this situation where we were crying out, where, where are we going to get serving ones? We need more serving ones. We need more serving ones. Isn't this a, a, a testimony? Where are you? A normal plea? Please. And then on the Lord's Day, we make the announcement, you know, the young people's work needs more serving ones. And we try to round up the parents. Parents get involved. Parents be burdened. If you have a burden to serve the young people, meet after after the meeting over by the piano, and uh, we'll we'll sign you up. And so the brother, anticipating a you know a flock of very burdened saints, would rush to the piano after the meeting, and he's standing there, and uh, he's standing there, and he's looking around, and nobody came to the piano. And what they were doing is they were looking at you, and they're thinking, "There's no way I'm going to be able to do what you do." These teenagers, are you kidding? I, I don't even understand them, much less have a burden for them. Uh, no, thank you. So we we examined this again and again. How do you who's gonna how do you meet this need? Hundred young people. Okay, let's let's think about it scientifically. Okay, let's just be real practical. If you're a full timer, full timer, how many young people can you care for in a week adequately? Can you really shepherd in a week? Oh man, if you're Superman, maybe 10, huh? Okay, so now we got 90 left. And now we got uh, some part-timers, you know, uh, not part-timers, I mean just regular serving ones. They got wives and they've got children, they got a job and they work, you know. And uh, how many can they care for in a week? One or two? Probably if they're Superman, maybe two. Okay, so we need 45 of those. We need one full-timer and we need 45. And see, you're laughing. You already know there's there's not in this universe will you find a local church with 45 serving ones for 100 young people. So how how do you meet this need? You know, the serving ones can have meetings. They can plan conferences. They can arrange all, you know, sign up the kids and do this and do that. But who... Who's going to care for them? How are they going to be cared for? Uh, there's no other way unless the whole church does this. And the only way the whole church can do it is if they get into your home meetings. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many home meetings you have. We have about 40, I think 45. So easy. One or two gets into every home meeting, and there they are. And now it's not excessively burdensome to anybody. They... uh they're, they just there. And you bring them in. 
You make them part of the group. You make them part of the email chain that goes out. Who's bringing, uh, this week we're having, uh, tortillas and who's bringing the, the tortillas and the, the meat and the guacamole and whatever. And then pretty soon they're all, they're all, they're in it. They're, they're coming. They're bringing. They're serving. They're part of it. They feel like they're part of it. And you know what's better than that? Like Hebrews 11, 24 says, and let us consider one another so as to love one another and to incite one another to love and good works. You see, this is the problem, is that no one considers them. They're not on anyone's radar. We dismiss them because, praise the Lord, we have a young people's work, and the young people serving ones can consider them and they can think about them and pray for them. And praise the Lord, they have a young people's meeting uh, that they can speak to them at. But brothers and sisters, again, my question is, who is considering them? On whose radar screen do these names appear? They get into your home meeting, then you can begin to consider them. You can pray for them. You can find out their situation. You can find out their condition. You can care for them in a loving way. You can uh, contact them in a very normal way. Now for you to contact them, it would be strange. Like, why is he calling me? Why is she calling me? Uh, but through the home meetings, they can be cared for. We have uh, discovered this, and we are constantly uh, endeavoring to bring them into the church life through the homes. Um. To bring the young people in is easy, but to keep them is not so easy. Begin by keeping them through their junior high years. Then you have to keep them through their high school years. Finally, labor to keep them through college. After that, they will be safe and secure. Did I tell you about my my home meeting and, and uh, the young brother, Sam? Sometimes I told these examples, and I forget where I told them, and I don't want to. In, in my home meeting... Uh, we had a junior high boy, seven, grade seven. I mean, young kid. Uh, high school girl, ninth grade nine, and a grade eleven boy. None of them were friends with each other. I mean, they they just I mean they just were there. How they got into that group meeting, I have no idea. But they they show up, and uh, the boy, he was pudgy. He was a little chunky, and his mother was worried about him eating too much and getting more chunky. So uh, she would feed him at home before she sent him to the home meeting. So he would always come late. And when he arrived, we were still sitting around the table. So he'd come to the door. You know, I need to be careful because he might watch this someday. He said, Sam, have you eaten yet? He goes, yeah, yeah, I ate. He said, well, come, come to the table. You know, we're just sitting at the table. And he said, so, okay. So he starts looking, you know, at the food. And boy, that looks good. So pretty soon the food's on his plate. Not only did he eat at home, but he also ate with us. Now he's getting a double dose, okay? And he's not eating a little, he's eating a lot. So now we're, we're about ready to move from the table into the living room to sing a little bit and read something and and there's Sam. He's laying on the floor and he's holding his stomach and he's moaning like, oh, like I ate too much. This is a home meeting, okay? 
that's that's Sam. So we just kind of left him there, and we went to the other room, and we and he you know he followed us in, but he was not feeling well because he had eaten so much. Um, then so then we sing. Okay, so that week passes. Then the next week, uh, he comes. He comes in late again, and and he eats with us again, and uh, and now it's time. And you know. I had been traveling a lot, and I was really tired. Sometimes when I get back from a trip and then I go to a home meeting, I, I'm just really, I just want to sit and, and sing or something. And so in this family's house, there was a, a, <laughs> they had a couch here and a couch there, and then they had a big soft chair right here. So while I'm sitting at the, at the table, you know, eating, I'm looking at that soft chair and I'm thinking... I own that chair. <laughs> that chair is all mine. So there I come, you know, I'm, I'm making my way to the chair and I'm just about, I'm sit, standing in front of it, about ready to sit down. And I catch out of the corner of my eye the flash of a little chunky guy <laughs> flying through the air. And he lands in the chair with his legs over the arm this way and his head on the arm this way. And just as I'm about to sit, and I, and I look back, and there's Sam. And he says, oh, were you going to sit here? <laughs> so I said, oh, Sam, it's okay. You can sit there. So I, I sat somewhere else. Okay. Well, you know what? After, uh, again, I, I go out on a trip, and I'll come, you know, sometimes I'll miss. You know, right now I'm going to miss my home meeting uh, six weeks. It'll be before I go back. I got a lot of things going on. Anyway, after, I think I was gone for three weeks and I came back and then, um, this time the whole meeting was at my house and we had, were having dinner and then the door opens up and in comes Sam. He walks in and he stands in the middle of the living room and he's, he, you know, we're trying to bid him to come to the table and, but before he does anything else, he just says, I missed you, brother Tom. <laughs> just that. Oh, I thought, I missed you too, Sam. (laughs) Well, you see, I wish all your kids could be in my home meeting. You probably wish your kids could be in my home meeting too. (laughs) We We just want them in our family. We just want them in our house. We want them to be part related to us. Well, you know, I saw Sam. We had, we, we had changed our home meeting arrangement and he hadn't been with us for a while and I was just with him. A few weeks ago, and he's grown up. He's gotten tall, and he got real skinny. I didn't recognize him. The face was so familiar, but I, I didn't, I couldn't be. And then finally, I'm, finally, I asked one of the brothers next to me. I said, "Who's that? That? Who's that kid? That young person right there?" He said, "Oh, that's Sam." I said, "No way! Is that Sam?" So then I, I, I went to talk to him. Oh, it's lovely. You know, he, of course, he knows me, and he remembers me. Everybody. I can't remember everybody, but everybody remembers me. So anyway, it was, it was quite lovely. This, anyway, my point in telling you this is that our kids need a church life like this. And you know, once they get in and it's like home to them, it's like family to them, you know what they start? It might take a year. It might take a year. But then what they're going to start thinking is, you know what? I need to bring my friend to meet these people. These are my folks. 
this uh, this brother Bruce. I mean, he's just they got to meet this guy. I mean, there's just no way to describe him. Uh, I want him to meet my <laughs> want him to meet my family. You know, my folks. And then they'll, they'll do it. They'll invite their friends. We saw this. We saw this. And then uh, they, they can bring their friends into the church life. See, this is how this is how you close the loop on this. You can't just say, go preach the gospel, go preach the gospel, go preach the gospel. You can't do that. They, you, have to, you have to help them. Okay, well, I, I need some help. <laughs> we need the young people. Now we come to this point. We need the young people to go to the campuses, okay, junior high, high school, college, especially those who are 18 and 19 years old. All the young people in the church are useful this is why we have to work on our high schoolers. Of course, prepare them for college, 18 and 19 year olds, to get the freshmen. The gospel must go out from the homes. Even the campus work can go out from the homes. For a church to be strong, the home meetings must be built up. The young people in the church can invite others to the homes of the middle-aged ones and the young couples. All these homes need to be open and ready to receive the young people. He's talking about a good coordination now. Okay, saints, remember earlier I said it might be that it's the young people that are going to bring you into the gospel, not you bring the young people into the gospel. In your home meeting, how many gospel friends, unbelievers, have been brought in? We hardly have, we hardly know anybody. Who's an unbeliever? Maybe at work or here or there. But you know what? These kids are surrounded with hundreds every day. They're in a, in a fishing pond swarming with lost souls, dying kids, sad, lonely, broken humanity. And those kids are just, they're just there. And if they could start to bring some of their friends into our homes, we would have a reason for existence. Now our home meeting takes on a completely different meaning because now we can become the receiving station for all of these fish. Up until now, we didn't have any way to care for the junior high or the high school ones after they got saved. We didn't know how to do that, but our homes can do that. That is the function of our homes. And it might be that the gospel will then come into our homes because our teenagers are bringing their friends into our homes. Saints, this is the new normal. This is the new understanding of the way to carry out the young people's work. So bring them into their own church life through the homes. Okay. E, actually, the church life will be carried out practically in the group meeting. The most important thing today is to have our own group meeting, which can be considered our own assembly. They need their own group meeting. It's so lovely when the kids begin to talk to one another and they say, uh, who, whose home meeting are you in? We begin to hear this. Our junior high boys, the high school sisters, what, what home meeting are you in? You know, they, they want to know, are you in a home meeting? Which one are you in? And it's great. It's now becoming normal for them to be in a home meeting. And even to the point where they know they're going to be in different ones. They're going to be, I'm going to be in this one. You're going to be in that one. And, 
and, and so forth. But it's their meeting. It's their group. It's their church life. This is, this is precious. We need to lead the young people to come together to break bread and teach them to understand what the breaking of bread is and what its significance is. This is part of their church life. This was also something he proposed that if the, ch- the young people couldn't come on the Lord's Day uh, to the table meeting, you know, you, you have to read the excerpt. He's proposing that we set up a, a small group table meeting near their school according to their schedule. A different, maybe a different day of the week so that we could teach them the value of the Lord's table meeting. 